One of the things about uh, Christianity, one of the things about faith, is that it's hard. (laughs) We're asked to uh, believe in what we can't see. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's really easy, and then other times it's a struggle. And we're just, that's the calling, though, is to believe, to look around and to see that there's got to be more than just this. There's got to be a creator who created all of this. And then to consider uh, the, the good book that we all believe in, and we look and we see that this couldn't have come from man. And so we know there's a God. And we come together with, with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, And that builds our faith because we see God in each other. We see Christ at work within us. And so there's so many things that build our faith. But then, I think if we're all honest, there are times that we're just kind of hit hard with life. and Or just hit hard with the easiness of life. And it's easy just to kind of forget. And it's easy to to struggle. And I think that's probably the reason why we gather around this table every week. Because God knew it was going to be tough. And so we remember the one who died for us, and it's true, but sometimes it's difficult. The challenge of faith is is embedded in the, the, the lesson today, and in the title it says, Let us draw near. We have this wonderful opportunity to draw near. It's not always easy, and that's part of what this book of Hebrews is about, is people who were tending to just, they knew Christ, but then they were starting to fall away. So let us draw near. It's an exercise that must be done. It's an exercise for us to draw near. It's it's not something that just kind of happens. We have to focus on it. We have to be diligent Verse 11 of chapter 4, Hebrews, by the way, all these lessons are coming from Hebrews. Hebrews eleven four, it says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. And it's almost, uh, you know, a little, it's ironic, isn't it? You have to be diligent to enter rest. But that's what Christ calls us to. We've got to put some effort into entering into the rest of God. Entering into his goodness and his glory. Entering into a relationship with him that that provides us, well, makes us the sheep of his hand. You know, he is the shepherd who is taking care of us. That is rest. And we have to be diligent to enter into that rest. It doesn't just happen. So now we get down to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Okay, so within, within this, the, the calling for us is to let us hold fast our confession. We've got a high priest 
He is a wonderful high priest. He is the Son of God. He has passed through the heavens. When I, when I hear that, I think of Jesus as having come down from the... It's like God opened the, the skies up and let His Son come down here to be with us. And Jesus dwelt among men. And Jesus was with us. And then He died for us. And then He ascended back into heaven. He has passed both ways through the heavens. He has come down. He has gone back up. And He's our high priest. And that's one of the things, this book is so very focused on Jesus the high priest. And you keep reading, you'll understand the importance of Jesus being the high priest. He has passed through the heavens. The very Son of God. Jesus is the one. He is our high priest. He is a great high priest. He goes to the Father for us. He helps us get into a right relationship with God. That's Jesus. The very Son of God has helped us to get in that right relationship with God. We have been reconciled through Him. Since that is true, let us hold fast our confession. Now for the Hebrews, this letter is written to the Hebrews. Written for those uh, who are of the family, the faithful of God that he chose, and God, the people of Abraham who descended from Abraham, God's people. And that admonition goes to them first and foremost, and then we just learn from it today. So that admonition was to God's people, God's chosen, the very family of God, the descendants of Abraham. This author, the writer, the Holy Spirit reaches out and tells them, hold fast your confession. And for them, I think as, as, as you look at the outline, for the Hebrews, trusting the law of Moses. You can see through that. You read through this book, you're going to understand that boiled down, and it is the fact that they were trusting the law of Moses. Still trying to hold on to the things of the past. That old law and everything that they cherished was in that law of Moses. That is how they could be right with God. That is how they could live faithfully. That was how they could please God was to follow all of those laws. But following all of those laws was pulling them away from Jesus. They had confessed Jesus. They had believed in Jesus. They believed that there was one who was now their sacrifice and also their high priest. Jesus was the one who satisfied the law. He fulfilled the law. He completed the law. And in doing so, we can turn to him instead of turning to that old law. But yet it was so embedded in their system and who they were and their culture and their family that was who they were, but yet it was pulling them away from Jesus. They had a big change to make. I know God was so gracious in allowing them some time to figure things out, wasn't he? The wonderful grace of God. Because God understands us. And he is a good, wonderful father. Our Savior is so precious. But the essence of everything is in Christ, and we need to hold on to him. Let us hold fast our confession. You know, and 
When you were immersed into Christ, when you were dunked underwater for the remission of sins, there was something you did before then. I hope, if not, I hope you'll really think back and consider that moment and consider what God's word says about being saved and how to be saved. But before you got dunked under that water and raised up to this new life in Christ, having your sins washed away and having received the gift of the Holy Spirit, raised to new life, before you did that, allowed that to be done to you, you made a good confession. You confessed the name of Jesus Christ as the Savior. You confessed that Jesus was the one, the very Son of God, who came down here to save you from your sins. You confessed your need for Him, vowing to live for Him for the rest of your life. It's the essence of, the, essence of our confession. Jesus is Lord. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You made a great confession. And I think we all have to pause and just, as we look at this verse and it says, to hold fast to grab on and just hold on to that great confession, that good confession that you made. Embedded in that is a little understanding that there are things that are going to try to pull you and try to pull me away from that good confession. And perhaps even without us realizing it. So my question is, if the Hebrews, those very Jews who had longed for the Messiah, and then they're allowing their old ways to kind of pull them away from the Messiah, what is it that pulls us away from Christ? I don't think it's the old law. I don't think anybody here ever lived under the old law, that that was ever your system. But there are other things that seek to pull us away from Christ. And so we need to pause and just think. Pause and understand that there are things that try to put our... What is it in the world, in the, in the things around us, in our own mind? The, what are the things that make us think less about Christ and more about self or more about things? What tries to pull you away from him. I've got to go back and glance at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also was in all his house. Jesus was faithful. He was faithful to the task that took him to that cross. He died for us. Are you being faithful to him? The world tries to pull us away. The devil is crafty and he seeks to distract us. He seeks to get our mind thinking and doubting what we read and what we know to be true. Life is not always easy. Are you being faithful? Instead of trusting other things or other people, are you trusting God?
trust Jesus. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast your confession. Continuing on, verse number 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Considering this passage, let's look first at verse 16, then I'm going to back up to verse 15 for a moment and tie it together. But listen to verse 16, is therefore let us draw near, to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And the basic sentence structure of that is just to say, let us draw near, to the throne. Let us draw near to the throne. Sounds like a big honor, doesn't it? Draw near to the throne. It's called the throne of grace. Well, what is the throne of grace? And if you'll allow me, you can go back here with me to Exodus. Let's talk about the throne of grace. I think we can kind of figure out that this is going to be the throne of God, right? Well, back in the Old Covenant, these, these folks that were being written to, the Hebrews, they understood very well the, the things in the Old Testament. That was who they were. That was trying to pull them away from Christ. So the author is going back to these old things of the law to get them to seek what is new and what is better. Well, in Exodus chapter 25, verse number 22... And in verse number 10, it started talking about the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. In verse number 22, it says, There, God speaking to Moses and I think to Aaron at this, well, just to Moses at this point, he says, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So on the ark, the two cherubim with their their wings that would come together and touch towards the middle, God would reside there on top of the lid of that, that ark of the covenant, that lid that was set there, that was called the mercy seat. And it was a seat not for any man to sit upon, but it was the seat where God sat. It was the throne of God. Second Samuel is is more specific. Second Samuel chapter six verse two, um, and this is at the time of David. It says, "And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim." God is enthroned above the cherubim. That's what, the, that's what in the Old Testament, the, when they, they carried that ark around, when that ark was brought into the, 
the tent, the tabernacle. And when, when later that ark was then brought into the temple that was built, that was the throne of God. That was the holy place, the holy of holies. Psalm chapter 80, verse number 1. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. God was present. At the Ark of the Covenant, God resided there. He was enthroned there. That was the throne of God to these people to whom the the Hebrews writer, whoever that was, that he is telling them this is the place where the throne of grace, that is the throne of grace. So under the law of Moses, did the Jews ever draw near to God's throne? It was the most precious, most wonderful place. And they came as close as they could, but they, did they, how close did they draw? They had their limit. Look at, uh, look at Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5, verses 4, excuse me, 5 and 6. It says, when the camp sets out, and this was given at the same time that that other instruction was about building the, the Ark of the Covenant. It says, when the camp sets out, Aaron and his son shall go in. And they shall take down the veil of the screen. That's the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. That set apart the holy of holies. Nobody went into it. So they take down that screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. And they shall lay a covering of porpoise skin on it. And then they shall spread over it a cloth of pure blue and shall insert its poles. So whenever you see a picture of people carrying the ark around, these little drawings and renderings, probably not actual camera photos, right? They didn't have them back then, but we've got our drawings and renderings of what was going on. Anytime you see somebody who has drawn a picture of the ark and you see the, the uh, it was actually the Kohathites, as you're going to learn in verse 17 and 18, they were the ones who were to carry it. And if you ever see a drawing of them carrying the ark and the ark isn't covered, you can just know that somebody didn't read the Bible. That's not how the picture would have been. The ark would have been covered. Nobody would see it. And here's the reason why. Numbers chapter 4, verse 20, it says, But they shall not go in to see, and this is speaking of the Kohathites, the ones who were to carry it. Aaron and his sons went in to cover it, and then the others could come in to get ready to carry it. They shall not go in to see the holy objects, even for a moment. Or they will die. So no looking upon the Ark of the Covenant. No drawing near. Not too near. You could come to the temple. That's as near as you could get. But no drawing near. No looking upon it. But now we get to Hebrews. And God is telling us something new. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let us draw near. So how do we draw near? We can now draw near. But it's not to the Ark of the Covenant. It is coming straight to God. We come to Him with confidence. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. This is Jesus' final breath. 
It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And I've always heard that that significance, that the reason that 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 specifies the idea from the top to the bottom, it's not a man could rip a curtain and that curtain to the veil would have been larger to this one. A man could rip a veil from the bottom to the top. He could reach out and rip it from the bottom to the top, but to break it from the top to the bottom, that was God's doing. And the veil was torn in the temple. The veil that separated everyone from the holy place, the holy of holies, where God was enthroned, that place was now opened up. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. There is no more throne of God that's seated on the Ark of the Covenant at the mercy seat where we enter into, but there's something much better. We have Jesus Christ who has gone to the heavens, our great high priest who is right there with the Father, and he is the one who intercedes for us, and we have access to him. And I think of uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it even mentions that we are now seated there. We are seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are there with Jesus. We have entered into the holy place because of Jesus. So, let us draw near to the throne. This is, a, this is a neat thing. There's no separation anymore. We can draw near. And then folks, instead of uh, drawing near to Jesus and grabbing hold of him and coming near to God through Christ, they were gravitating back towards the old law where the veil still kept them separate. That's a bad choice, isn't it? That's not very smart of them. It'll just very simply, you put this logic out. Hey, the veil's been torn. Remember when Jesus died? It was ripped. Now you can, everybody can kind of enter in because of Jesus. No, I want to go back to the old way. That's the way we've always done it, you know. No, (laughs) enter in with Jesus. Hold on to him. Don't hold on to the old stuff. How many times in our lives do we hold on to the old stuff and God's just saying, come in, come in, come in. I paved the way for you. He's called the forerunner in a later chapter. He has gone in for us. He is our high priest. So now we can go in. Let us draw near to the throne. And that throne is, is no longer the Ark of the Covenant, but it's being present with the Father. It's the actual throne that's in heaven. We can draw near to that. We can do it with confidence. How? With confidence. And why? To receive mercy and grace therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace now if we're not entering in what are we losing out on mercy and grace Let us draw near so that you can have mercy, so you can find grace. That's why we turn to God, so that we don't have to wrestle and wallow in the the mud and the stink of this world that has been messed up by our sins. So many difficulties in life. You know, 
wearing a mask is one of the smallest, littlest inconveniences of life. It's not that big of a deal. It's not the end of the world to wear a mask. But man, it gets our attention, doesn't it? But there's so many other worse things, aren't there? So many, there's so many problems in our world right now. And, and Jesus is the one who says, I've got the answer for all of that stuff. I can help you with that stuff. I can give you mercy and grace and make you right with the Father. Even in the midst of the chaos down here, you can have peace. You can have shalom, wholeness and oneness with the Lord God above. And it's only through Jesus. So let us draw near so that we may receive mercy and find grace. And when is this important? I think we've kind of established that, right? When is this important? It's in our time of need. And when is our time of need? It's now. It's always. Our time of need is when we lay down our head at night to go to sleep. And our time of need is when we're asleep and even aren't even thinking on our own and God is watching over us. Our time of need is when we wake up and we need to refocus and get our mind again on Him. Our time of need runs throughout the day. We are in constant need of Him to make the right choices, to shun evil, to seek God above in all things, to not put Him away and put Him aside and to go back to our old ways of life and our old ways of thinking, our old ways of doing things, our old habits, but to put those things aside so then we can seek God Draw near to Him. These, these commandments, they're so simple. Number one, let us hold fast our confession. And number two, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to seek Him and to love Him all throughout the day and to love His created ones. To love other men. Other men and women that we come into contact with, they're so difficult to love, just as I'm difficult to love. It's to have that Christ-like attitude to seek God, draw near to the throne, so that we can find grace to help in our time of need. So please, as you go through this week, please remember that your time of need is right now. I need Jesus right now. I need Jesus. I need his help. I need his mercy. I need his grace. I need his instruction and his wisdom. I need him. I don't care how small the task is. (laughs) Keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your mind on Jesus. And for those great tasks, when we, when we are called, you know, as, as we think about this calling that we have, partakers of a heavenly calling to be something, be, to be the presence of heaven in this life, that is our heavenly calling is to, to show people heaven, to show people Christ while we're down here on this earth. And we need to approach the throne of grace for help with that. We need help in every task, no matter how small, no matter how significant. We need God's help in our lives. So therefore, this concept of let us draw near. 
Because we have a priest who is in heaven, the great priest, the high priest. This is a reference to us seeking him. A reference to us praying to him. It's a reference to us acknowledging our our need and calling upon God to, to be there for us and to help us and to give us strength to get that right mindset to make it through this difficult life. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is so very simple, but so very much related to this verse. Pray without ceasing. Pray nonstop. Don't ever stop. You have somebody who is representing you to the Father right now. You have an advocate. You have somebody who is willing to help. It's the very Son of God. He is there for us. We have the Spirit's help in our prayers. That He helps us in in things we don't even know how to say. We don't even know what we need. The Spirit is going to the Father on our behalf. What a wonderful thought. So be praying. Be constant in prayer. This is how we can approach that throne of grace. Pray without ceasing. There are a lot of things that we don't necessarily think we do well enough in life. Praying is one of them. Let us seek to pray more. As we hold fast to our confession, let us constantly draw near to the throne of grace. Let us pray and let us not let anything pull us away. And if we could focus on praying more, I think we'll find that one of the joys of praying more and just having Christ in our mind, this isn't necessarily going through the day saying Jesus' name constantly so that we're just talking to him constantly in our head or Real close to that, isn't it? He's always right at the front of our thoughts. And when it's like that, then you'll find that it's a lot more difficult to sin. So draw near to the throne of grace. And enjoy the wonderful, the pleasure, the rest that we have in Him. There's nothing else like it. You'll find help nowhere else. There's no other place where you'll have peace and joy but in Jesus. So pray without ceasing. Go to that throne of grace. With our service, we're going to continue to remember Jesus. And I hope that as we do this, that it's not a thing that we do just once a week or one time during the day, but that we're always thinking about Jesus our great high priest. Before we have our prayer for the giving, I want to extend to everybody the invitation of Jesus Christ. He is a great high priest. He is the one who goes to the Father on our behalf. There's no other way to the Father except through him. He is our only hope. If there's anybody who needs to respond to the call of the gospel, we encourage you to do it today. For whether you're, you're listening online or whether you're present here, find me afterwards or call me. Or find somebody else in the church. And 
make that good confession, just as we spoke of in the, in the lesson, and give your life to Christ in baptism. Do that today. If there's anybody that's just seeking and you want the answers that you need before you can do that, reach out to us and let us know.